Welcome to Curbside Consult Statistical Review, where we explore different aspects of trial design, methodology, and statistical analysis in studies published in the New England Journal of Medicine. I'm Dr. Angela Castellanos, Editorial Fellow at the NEJM. If you tuned in to our last podcast of Curbside Consults, we discussed the use of e-cigarettes in smoking cessation for adults. If you didn't have a chance to listen to the episode, no worries. You can always go back and listen to it however you get your podcasts. In the meantime, we will be summarizing the relevant study while we review our statistical topic. Joining us today is our resident statistical expert, Dave Harrington, Professor Emeritus of Biostatistics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Thanks, as always, for joining us today, Dave. Thank you. It's great to be back. Awesome. So on today's episode, we're going to focus on pragmatic trials. What makes a trial, quote unquote, pragmatic? When is a pragmatic trial design useful? And what are the strengths and limitations of a pragmatic trial design? So in our last curbside consult, we discussed the study published in March 2019 called a randomized trial of e-cigarettes versus nicotine replacement therapy by Hajek and colleagues. This study included 884 adults who were smokers at the UK National Health Service's Stop Smoking Services who were randomly assigned to either electronic cigarettes or nicotine replacement products for smoking cessation. Treatment also included weekly behavioral support for both groups. The primary outcome which was self-reported one-year abstinence rates validated with a biochemical test, was 18% in the e-cigarette group compared to 9.9% in the nicotine replacement group. The authors conclude that in this pragmatic trial, e-cigarettes were more effective for smoking cessation than nicotine replacement therapy when both methods were used in conjunction with behavioral support. You can tune into the podcast for a more nuanced look at this trial, but today we're going to talk about the pragmatic trial design. So Dave, when I initially brought up this topic of pragmatic trials in the context of the study, you asked me, what makes this trial pragmatic? And honestly, apart from the fact that the paper states that the trial is pragmatic, I wasn't really quite sure how to answer you. So to start today, is there a definition of a pragmatic trial? So that's a great place to start. There is no single definition of a pragmatic trial. One way of thinking about the difference between a pragmatic versus an explanatory or more traditional randomized trial is that explanatory trials are designed to confirm a physiological or a clinical hypothesis, while pragmatic trials are designed to inform a clinical or policy decision by investigating an intervention in a setting more typical of clinical practice. The reality, however, is not so clear-cut. Rather than ask yourself, is this a pragmatic trial, it's more useful to think what elements of this trial are pragmatic. Pragmatism is on a continuum you can look at each component of a trial design and assess the pragmatic features of those components. Okay. So when thinking about these pragmatic features, what are the components that we're assessing? So one useful tool here is the Pragmatic Explanatory Continuum Indicator Summary Tool, now in its second iteration, called the PRACI2 tool. This tool looks at four main categories of a trial to assess pragmatism. The four main categories are recruitment of investigators and participants, the intervention and its delivery within the trial, the nature of follow-up within the trial, and the nature of determination and analysis of the endpoints. Great. So with that, let's go through our study looking at these four main categories and check out the level of pragmatism for this trial. So first up is recruitment of participants and investigators. To assess pragmatism in this category, you ask yourself how similar or different these participants are to those who would receive this intervention in a smoking cessation program? How much extra effort was made to recruit these participants outside of what a clinician would normally do in the clinic? And how different is the setting from the usual clinic setting? Okay, so in thinking about these questions that you've posed, 
in this study, the participants were identified and screened from clients of Stop Smoking Services, which means these participants were smokers who were interested in quitting. That's our target population for this intervention. Another aspect of recruitment was social media. So social media was used to recruit participants, which is different from a usual recruitment strategy a clinician would use. And finally, all the participants received multi-session behavioral support as per the UK Stop Smoking Service practices with local clinicians. And this was also designed to match the usual clinical setting. So it sounds like in terms of recruitment of participants and investigators, it appears this trial had a reasonably pragmatic approach. I agree. Okay, so next, let's look at the intervention and its delivery within the trial. Let's ask ourselves, how were the resources and organization of care delivery in the intervention group different from those in the usual care group? How much difference in the flexibility of care delivery, monitoring, and adherence encouragement was there between the two groups? Okay, so in terms of our second category, this resource and organization of care delivery, for this study, both participants were provided their intervention. So if you were in the nicotine replacement therapy group, that's what they gave you. If you were in the e-cigarette group, they provided that to you. And that often happens in planned studies, but it does differ from usual practice, what we do in the clinic. So participants in the nicotine replacement group were also able to choose their intervention, so they could decide between gum, lozenge patch, and change among those options whenever they wanted. And that also reflects what would happen in practice. And all these participants, just like we mentioned before, received the usual schedule of that weekly one-on-one session with a local clinician. So to assess pragmatism in the intervention and delivery within this trial, sounds like from a resource perspective, it was less pragmatic since we're giving the participants their intervention, but that ensures they're more likely to use it. But in terms of care delivery, monitoring, and adherence of encouragement, it seems the study was mostly stuck to usual care practices, and these were the same between the two groups. So sounds like still somewhat pragmatic, but not strictly so. I agree, but probably pragmatic within the constraints of getting a trial done in this setting. Mm -hmm. Also in pragmatic trials, interventions are usually not blinded, which is also clearly the case in this study. Moving to our next category, the nature of the trial follow-up in the study. How different is the follow-up in the study from typical follow-up in the clinic? All right, so for follow-up, this study had multiple follow-up visits that mirrored usual care thanks to that weekly face-to-face visit we talked about. But at three of the sessions, participants were required to do an expired carbon monoxide level test, which is not usual practice. We don't usually make our patients do that in clinic. Otherwise, the research followed up with the participants by phone twice in the study which, while that's not very frequent, it still made me more follow-up than the patients would have received in usual care. So overall, follow-up was less pragmatic in this trial, but it sounds like follow-up in any trial would have to be more closely done than in usual practice. So what does a more pragmatic approach for follow-up look like? So remember that a more pragmatic approach simply means that the approach more closely resembles real life or what happens in clinical practice. In the case of a pragmatic approach to follow-up, The less interaction a researcher has with the participant, sometimes the more pragmatic the trial may be, but there's a cost for that. For example, following up patients through databases or electronic medical records reduces the follow-up burden to participants, and it also minimizes the interactions between participants and investigators that fall outside of usual practice. But a fully pragmatic follow-up may not be the best way to obtain the data you need to answer the important clinical question. In this case, Researchers wanted to assess symptoms and quality of life related to the interventions as well as have some biochemical evidence to validate self-reported measures. Collecting these data means interacting with participants more and being less pragmatic. 
And so sometimes a pragmatic approach is not always the appropriate approach for a particular aspect of trial design. Correct. Okay. So, so far, I think we can agree this trial is fairly pragmatic when thinking about recruitment of investigators and participants and intervention in the delivery within the trial, but less so with the nature of follow-up within the trial. Okay. So we have one more category, and that's to evaluate the nature, determination, and analysis of trial outcomes. In the study, the primary outcome itself was one year of self-report smoking cessation, no more than five cigarettes from two weeks after the quit date, and with biochemical validation at that one-year mark. While self-reported measure is a pragmatic way to obtain results, that's how we assess smoking cessation in clinic, this biochemical validation is not. This emphasizes the point of the pragmatic trial continuum. The biochemical validation of the primary outcome, while it differs from usual practice, is a helpful way to determine the primary outcome when you're interested in which intervention actually helped people quit smoking. This helps reduce the bias introduced with self-reported outcomes. So overall, it looks like this trial had some pragmatic aspects in terms of recruitment and intervention, but less so in follow-up and determination of outcome. So Dave, as a statistician, would you call this a pragmatic trial? So no trial is completely pragmatic, as we have seen here. As you have said, this trial has some important pragmatic aspects and other aspects that they had to compromise on. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the definition of a pragmatic trial. We've gone through different aspects of um, how to assess if a trial is pragmatic. But why do a pragmatic trial? What are some of the strengths of the approach? Pragmatic trials are helpful when evaluating complex interventions that involve multiple providers, like this trial assessing a smoking cessation intervention with behavioral support. The pragmatic aspects incorporate the practicalities of implementation by trying to simulate the actual intervention experience. Okay, so when would an investigator choose to design a trial that is less pragmatic? Depends on the clinical question. If we want to understand the physiological effects of a treatment, adverse effects, a more controlled trial with less heterogeneity in participants, researches, intervention delivery, follow-up and outcomes would be more informative. Okay. So sometimes you're reading an abstract, you're looking at um, a quick summary of a paper, and you hear that a trial is pragmatic. What should we look out for? How should we approach this? So a reader should look at the clinical intervention described in the paper. Does a pragmatic approach make sense in this context? Also, look at the components of the study to see what makes it pragmatic. We looked at four main categories, recruitment of participants, intervention and delivery, the nature of follow-up, and the determination and analysis of outcome. Depending on the clinical question the paper is asking, assessing the pragmatic approach in these categories will help you understand what aspects of the study are more generalizable to the usual care setting. Awesome. And is there anything else you would like to add to our discussion about pragmatic trials? No, I think we've covered the important points. Thanks so much, Dave, for helping me understand and approach pragmatic trials. And thank you for listening to this episode. Our production team here at NEJM Resident 360 includes Karen Buckley, Kyle Simmons, Mike Tomasis, Tim Binings, Scott Williams, and Kathy Stern. Special thanks to Dr. Angela Chen and Dr. Amanda Fernandez, my co-fellows at NEJM this year, and our NEJM educational editor, Dr. O.P. Hammondvik. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Please email us with any feedback, any questions you have at resident360 at nejm.org, or leave a message or review wherever you get your podcasts. We're accessible throughout social media, so please come find us. I'm Dr. Angela Castellanos, Editorial Fellow at NEJM. Please join us next time for Curbside Consults.